Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. If this is the first time you are listening to us or seeing us, this is our 100th episode, and welcome to the club. If you've been listening to us for this entire 100-episode run, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Of course, my name is Jacqueline Coley, alongside my co-host, Mr. Mark Ellis. I'm having some cake. It, it Even though we're only turning, like, two, you know, it, yeah. it still feels like a huge accomplishment, because if you get... 10 episodes of something under your belt. It means that you're trying a new endeavor. Good for you. You're putting in the work. Once you get to 100, it kind of means that you did something, you, that you made your mark with what you were trying to do and you had fans support it. Because I don't know that any show gets to 100 unless you have people on the other end of that show that are listening and watching and receiving the message. So we appreciate each and every one of our fresh catch-up crew members for getting us to this point a hundred episodes, Jacqueline. We really have talked about a lot of movies. Yeah, it's really crazy too to think about it. I, again, as I say this to anyone listening here, and this is about this is episode for those listening. This is where we're going to get as candid as you're going to get. We, for the most part, try to keep it focused on the show, keep it focused on the movies. But I am always surprised to the beautiful few of you that have come up to me in public because I am not a touring comic. So I see people <laughs> in very limited and rare occasions where they're not there and have not paid money to see me like my co-host Mark. And so when anyone comes up to me and be like, I love the podcast, my first reaction, I feel bad is like, who told you about it? Like, I'm always just like, I feel like this is you? just, I know, I feel like this is a secret thing me and Mark do. But this episode, what Lucy and Brian did to prepare for it, and then also just being out in the world more, I know that this podcast is reaching way more people than I can ever possibly fathom. I just heard word yesterday, we're close to a million streams. That means like what? a million different people have at least listened to our voice. That's nuts. That's crazy. And it's all you guys. It is not, again, I'm just talking to my buddy who I know and would talk about this stuff with all the time. And we bring in some other buddies on top of it. And so the fact that you guys have made this something that we get to do for his hundred episodes is really incredible and why we wanted to include you in this episode. So we're really going to break down 
exactly what you guys have said. Talk about some movies of yours that we haven't covered. We're going to spend a lot of time in the mailbag. But before we do that, Mark, let's see. Like, it's a weird time for both of us. We're both approaching a birthday. You just came back from Vegas. The world is like opening back up again. It's crazy to think that our podcast is still continuing, knowing that like we made this in the dark of the pandemic. And now it feels like a million miles away it when was we're looking at a, it now. It was like a kernel of a seed of a piece of popcorn. I think as the pandemic was happening, and then it's like, well, we're still going full steam ahead. We we want to do this show. Jack and I have been wanting to do this show forever together. And so finally, it's like we have our baby, but oh, here's a fun sort of caveat. You can't be in the same room as the other person. And just the fact that we were able, I think it's a credit to not you or me necessarily, but just the way that we work together with that other you know special magic that we have when we're talking with one another that it can work through a pandemic and through a computer and through cameras and microphones without us physically being around each other. Although just as it happens, you and I saw a movie last week and before I went to Vegas, and we were just kind of like talking and reminiscing. Some tea was spilled about various things in our lives personally, but it was almost like we were toasting. I had an adult beverage. I had a beer. Jack had some sort of weird alcoholic smoothie thing that looks like a lot of fun, but it, I just stick with it. He the, was so shading juice. me, ladies and gentlemen. The minute I came in, oh, I'm going to tell the real tea. We went to a, a hotel that has a bar and a restaurant at the bottom of it. Mark mm -hmm. orders a beer like the man that he is, because he's An a man IPA. and he's Thank 40. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. And I, like the lost babe in Toyland, the, the committed, dainty lass. Yeah, the committed to arrested development. I am never going to grow up. I ordered an adult milkshake and I skipped my way to the bathroom after I ordered it. <laughs> it was great. It was banana and banana liqueur. And I mm -hmm. enjoyed every inch of it, especially Mark's. Very much enjoying, but slightly disapproving face. Like, that cannot be good for either the alcohol or the ice cream. Well, maybe in the future, this is Producer Lucy, hello. Congrats, Mark and Jacqueline. Um, maybe in the future, we, first off, will get together in the same room one day. It okay. is going to happen. Deal. We will be in the same room. It's going to be that much more fun. And who's to say I won't have an alcohol budget so we can all drink while we're doing the show. I mean, I'll we'll get you see. adult milkshake shakes, Jacqueline and Mark. I'll get you Coors Light. I mean, I, I like this. Yeah. I like this promise. The way that we should play it is we'll tape the podcast sober and then we'll just do the same podcast with some libations yes. and then sort of match them up and, and see which version we actually want to be released <laughs> yeah. out onto the street. I think I may be California sober for that. Like, this is the weird thing. As I get older, I'm like, booze just does not hold the same sway for me at all. Even beer. Like, none of it holds the same luster. And, I, like, I look now at a gin and tonic as, like, this could go very wrong. Jacqueline's so got a cool, Jacqueline's, you know she's made it in life because she's got, like, a really cool, uh, what do you call those, like, those alcohol carts at her yeah, place where it's got true. like all the fancy liquors and stuff. And I have mm -hmm. an alcohol cart. You know what's on it right now? A bunch of mail and my modem. That's what's <laughs> on my alcohol cart because the rest of it, it's just in the fridge, chilling in a silver bullet casing. So the way that we get encouraged by the occasional adult beverage is sort of the way that Producey Lucy wrangles us and our expert engineer, Brian, as well. Just uh, it really is a team that makes this ship go. And Jacqueline and I, like she said, we just get to show up. And this is the easiest part of our day. It's the folks behind the scenes and everybody who has supported us here on the Rotten Tomatoes side of things and obviously gets out into the world. And then the fans get 
to listen. And the fact that so many of y'all are, have stayed with us for so long and you, now you write us letters, you send us videos, you send us audio clips. And we're going to get to a lot of that today. It's sort of a celebration of not just Jacqueline and I, it's all of us that includes you, our Fresh Ketchup crew members. So to get things rolling, it's our favorite segment because we get to take a break for two minutes. But this is a very special two minutes with Tim. Because we are going to turn it over to our expert review curation manager, Tim Ryan, who has been a big part of the show since its inception. And we usually have like a little music cue that we play that is sung by Producey Lucy. But guess what, folks? It's a special day. It's the 100th episode of Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. And so without further ado, now stepping to the stage, Producey Lucy. Okay, here we go. I'm forgetting what I was going to say. Hold on. It's, okay, it's I got four, it. It's four words. I know. <laughs> I know. But I, I came up with this in the shower last night. So I was like, okay, don't mess it up. And now I'm Oh, it's a new version. It. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, ready? Let's do it. Okay. A hundred times, a hundred times, a hundred times we did. A hundred times, a hundred times, we did 100 two men's with Tim. <laughs> Woo! Wow. <laughs> More talent in that one verse than I've showed in my entire hundred episodes on this show. First of all... <laughs> first of all if this podcast has done nothing else it's giving me a theme song like i don't know if i'm going to like use this theme song in any other context but like having a theme song is something that i don't know not everyone can claim i'm like there with like the monkeys or something you know so that's cool it's funny that like when we started doing this podcast it was in the middle of the pandemic and now we're tiptoeing out and it's still going which is is really cool um you know i just want to say thank you to jacqueline and mark obviously but especially producey lucy because you know it's one of those things where every week when we do this we just sort of sit around we shoot the breeze and she helps fashion this into an actual segment which is kind of incredible um shameless self-promotion but we've also been working on a project called rt archives in which we're doing this thing where we're collecting and aggregating reviews of films, classic films when they came out. And I feel like in some ways this has been um, an extension of that, the podcast where we are talking about what the reaction to um, the critical reaction to movies were when they came out. So that's been really fun anyway. And um, from what I understand, some people like this segment. So thank you very much. And I hope, um, I've done a good job and um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And uh hope we keep doing this for a while. Oh my gosh. He is Was such... Tim at the dentist? I think he had some laughing gas going on. No, there. actually I can tell you Tim, because I've known Tim now for five years. I'm sure Lucy maybe prepped him or not, but Tim was just hilariously laughing at the fact that he was going to get to talk about himself. Because oh, the thing you don't know about is. Tim is he's incredibly long-winded, but the man is also incredibly selfish. And as much as this segment is two minutes with Tim, <laughs> he's so uncomfortable with the idea of it being anything about him. Yeah. That he like laughs at the premise. And excuse me if I'm yeah. wrong, Lucy, knowing Tim, that is probably exactly what he was laughing at. Oh my gosh. I mean, and I think you meant self selfless. <laughs> selfless. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Selfless, not I selfish. Selfish. No, no, no he is selfless. Selfless. No, you, yeah. You you nailed it. That's exactly right. He's the most humble person in the world. And this whole thing has been just sort of 
mind-blowing for him, I think, because he's like, what? I'm on this podcast doing this segment. And there have been several times where he's tried to be like, don't you want somebody else? And I'm like, no, you're doing this forever. You're staying with us forever, Tim. Yeah, going no, and I agree with you because for folks that don't know about Tim too, I'm going to take this opportunity for you guys to get to know about him. Tim has been one of the more longer running uh, employees of Rotten Tomatoes and started as a curator but did so much more. Back when Rotten Tomatoes uh, first came about, like, if you think the team is lean now, I need to talk to you about way back when. I mean, it was literally Tim, Alex, Ryan, Matt Atchity, Gray, and, like, two other people running that entire site, including our head of VP of content uh, now, Julio. And they've been through six ownerships and the whole time just trying to keep the reviews going, trying to make sure the site did what it needed to do, trying to get critics... uh, certified and put on the tomato meter and those have now been like sort of handed out into various people but back in the original days they all did a little bit of that and so when I tell you Tim Ryan has probably read over 10 million reviews that's a low estimate and he would go out of his way back in the early schmoes days when we were certified with the tomato meter he would go out of his way to kind of like watch our videos to take pieces from that and sort of apply that as our quote about the movie. And so that really was a shot in the arm for us. And uh, Tim Ryan, selfless is a great way to describe him, even though I think he's getting a little cocky now because he's got his own theme song. And it's I mean, and he's allowed to, honestly. There's so many nameless and faceless people that work at Rotten Tomatoes that are a part of not just this podcast, but the entire brand that don't get, I would say, the visibility that folks like me and Mark get because we get the fun stuff. You know, we get to go and do, you know, Mark... I'm going to shout Mark out a little bit. He had a great piece in golf. It was a golf magazine. Uh, a, a golf magazine, yeah. Yeah, golf magazine that he did for us here because, ladies and gentlemen, he's not just a microphone uh, jockey. He actually is a very accomplished <laughs> writer who I thank my lucky stars every day decides to be a yuck monkey. And I say that with love and affection. That it's true. His favorite thing in the world is to just go and tell jokes in front of drunks like that is what he loves to do and I love him for it because if he ever tried to be a writer I would be out of a job because he's so much better at it (laughs) this is this is all encouraging me to go down a dark path from which I would never return so your job is safe and I am glad that you do not get on stage because you're much more likable and funnier than (laughs) I am so this is just a nice self pat on the back for all of us here at Rotten Tomatoes and the show Rotten Tomatoes is wrong a podcast by Rotten Tomatoes remember when we used to intro it like that we oh my like, god! We had to make sure that people knew that we were in on the joke. Tomatoes. That right. is actually one of the funniest things of the early days of people. Like everybody in the audience, I think, is like, "Yeah, we get it." But we <laughs> they were so worried about that. It's like we have to let them know we're in on the joke. I'm like, I think the podcast lets them know we're in on the joke. Pretty sure but... the fact that we're on the Rotten Tomatoes feed helps. But regardless, and so now we're going to celebrate. Our Fresh Ketchup crew members, and these are some of our our finest minds that write us, that send us messages, audio, visual, they email us, rtiswrong at rottentomatoes.com, and they give us their thoughts on movies, what we've talked about, and they are the reason why we are at 10 episodes, much less 100 episodes. So, Brian, as you're the best at doing, hit the music. And kicking us off here is our very first fan, Danielle Kester. And Danielle has been one of the, maybe the MVP of of our show here because Danielle always gives us feedback, always tells us other movies that we should be checking out. And so Danielle, here's Danielle's thoughts. 
Hey gang, congratulations on 100 episodes of the podcast, and the film that I think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about is 2008's Speed Racer, which is not only a one-of-a-kind visual masterpiece, but shows what a passion project from directors really can be. It has a great cast, a great story, and it's a feel-good movie. I absolutely think it should be a fresh movie, not only that, but certified fresh. Congratulations again on 100 episodes of the podcast, and I can't wait to hear more. Sincerely, Daniel Kessner, a.k.a. Racer X Jump. Jacqueline and Mark, back to you. Oh, with the throw! Racer with X Jump. That's throw. a professional podcaster right there. That Jack. is we, great. We have a competition now with, with our, our fan favorite, Danielle. Before we give our thoughts on Speed Racer, though, I hear we have somebody else that wants to chime in. Another fan favorite of ours, Tyler Harper. So, Tyler, we'll turn it over to you. I've made this video about four or five times and realized that I have way too much to say in just a minute. But a shout out to everybody at Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. Producey Lucy, Jacqueline, Mark, you guys are great. Congratulations on the 100th show. I, I could listen to you guys forever, so I hope it continues. My uh, film that I want to talk about is Speed Racer. I've sent emails about it already, complaining that it is too low on, on Rotten Tomatoes. And it is 41%. It should be around 70 It's not a like 100 or 90% by any means. But it is a fun movie, a beautiful movie, one with an awesome father-son story that really touches me. And uh, I can relate to that a lot. And it has a great car. It's beautiful. It is colorful. It is well done. It is just like the anime brought to life. And that's what you look for in a movie. Something that is entertaining, colorful, fun. And I could watch it over and over again. Congratulations on 100. Here's to more. All right. There's Tyler and Danielle. They're really making me think here, Jacko. Because every time I consider like, oh, man, you know, I, I do hear a lot of people love Speed Racer now. I just don't know if I can make that investment because when I saw it, I saw it in the Dolby, in, in the Microsoft Theater, sitting right behind me was Slash, by the way, from Guns N' mm. Roses with his kids. So that was pretty cool. And I just remember it was like visually and and the audio was just so overwhelming and it was cool, but it was also, it just felt like work. So, but it, Danielle and Tyler say that it should at least be fresh. I, I think we have to give it another shot, right? <sighs> okay. <laughs> Yes and no, okay. because it's a movie out of time. If this movie was made in 1968, it would be certified fresh with like the biggest advertisements to ever do it. But coming out <laughs> when it came out, it's so cringy in certain aspects. So I get why people didn't do it. But visually, like any movie that I give this compliment, which means you can enjoy this with the sound off, is a movie that has done something spectacular visually. Mm. And Speed Racer is that. So while I absolutely agree, it's a movie that does not in any way get interpreted for the brilliance that it is. The reception that it has, I understand. All I would be willing to say is we've got to get it to fresh. I don't know if I can get it to where Danielle and uh, Tyler think it should go, but I'm going to at least get on the bus to where they're going to push it as close to that place as I can. I see what you're doing. All right, you're making me the bad guy in our 100th episode. All right, I'm sticking with it. 41% until I see otherwise. Yeah, I gave you a wishy-washy one on that one because I really do like that movie. I love the way that it looks. I like the campiness of it. I love the beautifulness of it. I love just the commitment of everyone involved in that movie because it was a completely green yeah. screen movie when yeah. they barely had dots that they were looking at that is a commitment movie but no <laughs> I, I don't know if I can call it certified fresh 
I got I would put it in that late. Yeah, like I'd put it a little bit different. This is what's great, though, because we have another episode. We have another uh, fan video. And so let's go ahead and take a look at what Zion Silver has to say about a film that he thinks that we should know about. All right. Hey, all you Rotten Tomatoes fans out there like me. I love the podcast, Mark and Jacqueline. And you know, I've got one great suggestion for a movie that I think gets a really, really unfair shake, and that is Waterworld, is one of my favorite movies of all time. And like, I know it's ridiculous. Kind of a crazy premise, obviously. Some of Kevin Costner's worst acting ever, but I love it. The action sequences alone are amazing. Just the whole vibe that's going on with it, his trimaran that he just flies around in, kicking butt and taking names. It's just so good. It's so good. Dennis Hopper plays a great bad guy. And I really honestly, in my heart, I believe it is a fresh movie at its core. Not super fresh, but fresh. So you should take a look at it. All right, thanks. I really love that he had his pool in the background. I He's was committing thinking, to the Waterworld the, theme. At the end of his vid, I thought Zion was just going to jump in the pool and just be like, watch, I have gills too. I mean, that is the, I will say that is the cinematic sign off, but you know, the guy did do Waterworld, so he probably wanted to do it and ran out of budget and time. Oh, that's a joke. What a, what a burn from the, <laughs> I know, the I'm kidding. Zion, no, he, I, I can make that burn because he heard me talk about this, I'm sure, about Waterworld. Waterworld gets a bad rap on how bad it was. Waterworld gets a bad rap on the fact that it did make money and it actually did break even. Waterworld, if it was directed by a director who didn't quit in the middle of it, would have probably been a great movie. Like, this is a movie that, like, this and John Carter are movies that I'm like, the fact that they gave you a product, you guys should be happy because these movies had issues in the production of them that made them very expensive. So I'm on board with Waterworld being higher. I really am. I love the post-apocalyptic feel of it. And I love that there's so many times when you see a movie that's dystopian in the future, it's just a bunch of sand. I like water. I really like water. And I, and I like that we're just floating and that's the thing. And, and then there's that great, great sequence that SNL took and ran with when Dana Carvey was playing Ross Perot and he was referring to Waterworld and he said, I, I really got to pay eight bucks to watch Kevin Costner drink his own urine. Like he pees in, in this contraption and then he's able to drink his own pee and that's how I guess you survive in this weird water world that we live in. So Waterworld is currently, it is 45%. 45%, yeah, okay. 45% okay. rotten, 43% audience score on the 1995 Waterworld, which is a, I'll bump it up. I'll yeah. bump Waterworld up a little bit. I'll get it to fresh adjacent. I'll get it up to like 58%. That's fair. I would put it in the low 60s. I think I'm with Zion. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Also, it's the greatest thing you can do at Universal Studios in Hollywood. I go to that ride. show like three times when I go once a year. It's Waterworld. I just took my four-year-old and she was terrified. It's and a then show? After yeah, it's, it's the best show. Mark, I'm taking you as a I, guest next time do, I go. Do I get wet? I mean, I want a water yes, world yeah. water ride. Yeah, there's fire. There are people like flipping off of high platforms. It's basically Cirque du Soleil with water acrobatics. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't do that. I, I don't do. Did you stunt go to Backdraft? I don't do stunt shows. No, <laughs> I don't want to be there when something goes wrong. Then it's awkward. Then the rest of my day is ruined. I don't do stunts. <laughs> You know, this reminds me of there's a bad episode, not a bad episode. There's an episode of the IT crowd where he goes on a date with a girl and she said and she's just like, my parents died in a fire. 
And he's just like, what do you mean? She's like, they died at a fire at SeaWorld and she won't explain. And he's upset because he's like, how did they die at a fire at SeaWorld? Like, how? And she's just like, I don't want to talk about it. And it's like a whole thing with this girl. And so whenever I hear any like, I don't know, water show thing, I just think, well, if somebody died in it, would you question whether or not they could have died in a fire? I don't do Cirque du Soleil. I don't do shuttle launches. I don't do air shows. I don't. I don't go where there's a risk. Are you of a Challenger injury. kid? Are you a Challenger kid? I don't remember watching it like live. I don't think we did, but I, I you, I couldn't pinpoint what exactly was the 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 thing in my life that that ruined me from watching people attempt stunts live. But I'm just uh, it's, and Universal. No, I'm just there to ride rides and drink butter beer. I'm, I'm yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, a lot of people say that the Challenger kids uh, have an inherent distrust for government enterprise. There's like a study of them. If you were a kid who watched that. And so I'm wondering if like spectacle shows is like the other side of it, because I'm not going to lie to you. If I was a second grader and they made this whole big show of we're yep. going to watch this thing and we're going to like get you together and they're going to make it like a stunt show. And then somebody died. I'd be upset. <laughs> do not, <laughs> You'd be like, What is this? But do not trust them. Let's get to the next one. Let's move on to Paul Bratz. What do you got for us, Paul? Hi, guys. Uh, first of all, congratulations on 100 episodes. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I listen to it all the time. Secondly, I got an issue that's almost as infuriating as when Dusty Bottoms shot the Invisible Swordsman. I think Three Amigos is criminally underrated. Uh, there's a plethora of piñata, I mean, reasons why I would say so, but this video is only up to a minute long, so I have to make it short. Uh, but basically, you got Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Martin Short, all in their prime. There are so many great one-liners and jokes and everything. It's just, it's definitely one of my top five favorite comedies. I love it, and I think, like I said, it's really, really underrated. So, uh, what do you guys think? Maybe is it just me, or do you agree? What do you think? Oh, almost forgot. <coughs> Thank you. There it is. <laughs> I was really wondering. I was going to be slightly disappointed if we didn't get it. That's a real fan. And yeah, I'll say the Three Amigos should be fresh. It is criminally underrated. It's only 45% rotten. Every year at our talent show, starting in middle school and going all the way up through high school, some group of dudes got up and did the Sweet Little Buttercup. Really? Yep. Wow. Honestly, I think with Three Amigos... The the thing that I've heard a lot recently is Selena Gomez taking over for Chevy Chase because say what you want to about the comedy legend. Apparently, he's not fun to work with on set if you ask the folks at Community. And so there's been talk of a Three Amigos remake with her. I and don't hate that idea. because I don't hate that idea. I do like the Three Amigos, too. But every time I hear it now, that's all I think of is because now those three are just like get them to host the Oscars. Get them in a movie together. Just put their like comedy legend vibe with Selena Gomez. Like I, just uh, seeing her now, like you can see the comedy wearing mm-hmm. off on them, yeah, wearing it, off on her. I, w- see, when I was like a little kid, I remember we watched Three Amigos and I just didn't get, I still thought it was funny, but I didn't get the fact that they were like these movie stars pretending to be heroes. I never picked up on that until I watched the movie again. So it was like watching a brand new movie when I saw it as an adult and yeah. Three Amigos definitely deserves more justice, and that's why we have this show. Thank you, Paul, and congratulations to your Milwaukee Bucks on the last year's championship. The Warriors took it over this year, but uh, y'all are going to be relevant for a long time. So who uh, who's next up? Hello, Jacqueline, Mike, Lucy, the whole ITS Ron crew. 
My name is Arthur, and I'm here to give my take on Blade Runner 2049, a movie that has 88% for critics and 81% for audiences, but I don't think it deserves those scores. It's slowly paced, and not in a good way, in a way that's boring. It's misogynist, the relationship between Anna Darmus and Ryan Gosling is creepy. And look, I do love the performances given by Anna Darmus and Dave Bautista, and I love the visuals, it's visually breathtaking, and this atmospheric mood that it has all the way through. But just, I, I just don't like it. It was, dis- it, was, it was a disappointment. So yeah, that's my take on Blade Runner 2049. Uh, Congratulations to you for everything you've accomplished up to this point, and I can't wait to tune in to your 100th episode. Thanks. Bye. What up, Arthur, man? I dig it, and I am been on record about Blade Runner 2049. I love Denny. That movie is amazing. The story, though, no. I remember hearing some of those, like, snipes about the story, the misogynist angles that it had. I, I like... For me, I felt bad. You know I felt bad for with Blade Runner 2049? I felt bad for the glorious city of San Diego. Because in the future, in 2049, it's a trash dump. That's where the rest of the world dumps its garbage is in San Diego. And I remember seeing it, and San Diego had just lost the Chargers to L.A. And it's like, can, can they not have anything? I guess they have sunshine. But apparently not in the future. It's just a trash dump. So enjoy seeing me at American Comedy Company and the La Jolla Comedy Store while you can. Because in the future, it's just going to be a Wally wasteland. Aw. But they also still have Comic-Con and SeaWorld. Just remember that. Comic-Con right. and SeaWorld makes a lot happen. I don't happen. talk about SeaWorld. My, my, my grandparents died in a fire there. I don't want to talk. <laughs> they also have the zoo. They also have the zoo. Oh, no. My uncle got eaten by a bear there. Yeah, just a rough time. Anytime the Ellis's go out, bad stuff happens. Oh, my god! I don't want to watch Depressed Whales ever. I know. I know. Ever. I don't want to watch Depressed Whales either. I, I know. After sad. Blackfish. It's still they're still there, though, people and people still go to it. Like, yeah, it's a do. huge amusement park. I am not yeah, endorsing it. I'm just saying that, like, maybe that's why it becomes a waste dump. Hey, Blade Runner 2049. Visually stunning. Not quite the story that we were hoping for. So thank you, Arthur. Thanks for. Thanks for chiming yeah. in. That's a I like it sometimes when it's a movie that's universally praised, and that's why people like Arthur here, they're like, ah, not so fast. So let's move on to Bo Burris. What does Bo have to say? Do you like a movie too much, or do you not like a movie too much? Hey, Jacqueline and Mark. I would love to hear your take on 2013's The Great Gatsby. I love this movie. I love the maximalism. I love that it's unapologetic. The colors are vibrant. The soundtrack is punchy. And you get this huge spectacle followed by a very cold, very abysmal and depressing ending. And I think that perfectly captures Fitzgerald's disillusionment with the jazz age. I'm confused at how so many critics didn't also get that message. Um, I wouldn't argue it's a perfect film, though, by any stretch, but I love that it does this old Hollywood bigness so well. Like It knows it's a show and it's a spectacle, and I think if you take things a little bit less seriously and really embrace that spectacle, it's a crazy enjoyable experience. Anyways, a huge fan of the show. Thanks for all your hard work, and I look forward to hearing your take. 
I might just be a dummy, Jack, when I've never heard the term maximalist before. I get it because you hear minimalist way too much. I've never heard maximalist. Am I-, I mean, I think the modern term for people without the vocabulary that Bo has would just call it extra. But it okay. is the extra vibe, like just this, like the grandeur of it, the opulence of it. Like I, I would call that the ops, the opulence of it. The idea, like, why would you go and get a Tesla when you can get a Rolls Royce? That is maximalist. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. the difference between a white wall and like Damask in navy with like Sherlock Holmes, the, the Benedict Cumberbatch, his apartment is kind of maximalist. Yes. If you think all, all that right, stuff, all then. the books and the things. Yeah, all the books, all the things, and all of them have to be ornate and glamorous and appreciative in their in their value as opposed to depreciative or less I will than. go with Bo then that if that's what the movie was trying to do, it knocked it out of the park. I am a, I live like a minimalist. I'm looking at my apartment and I think it's finely decorated. Some other people may think there's just not enough crap on the walls and that's the way I like it. Old, old sport. Hey, hey, the Great Gatsby 2013 did give us probably, I would say like a top 10 most used gift though. Yes. Of, of DiCaprio just like holding yeah. the glass up. Yeah. So it, yeah. it gave us something. It gave us something again. Jay Z writing, uh, basically jazz yeah. covers. It very much had a lot of really cool things going for it. I would say if you love Gatsby, you're gonna love Elvis. And if you had problems with Gatsby, you're really not gonna like Elvis because uh. he just basically took Gatsby, gave it a whole bunch of then legal cocaine, and said, "Here's another movie." <laughs> I gotta see Elvis. Is that also the song where it's the Lana Del Rey like, "Will yeah. you still love me when I'm"? Yeah, no, it's uh, they. He did an entire contemporary soundtrack for both those films, and that's usually his trademark. Going back to Romeo and Juliet with doing the Cardigans, uh, Love Fool in the middle of Romeo and Juliet, and Kissing You by Desiree, and all these like modern, you know, ballads and things like that. But that's 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 Baz learning for you. So, Bo, I don't disagree with you. Baz, he knows his stuff. We're actually gonna go to Fariz Sedute. Hey, Rotten Tomatoes, happy 100 episode of the podcast. So. Back to the topic, when the Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. The news on Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. It was bad. It's supposed to be rotten. The story is not there. The horror, yes. The title is not determined how the movie goes. I think that's the most bad news about that movie. The title, not what the movie supposed to be and i uh, the story not quite well not quite deeper there is no fun in it like the mcu formula i just don't get it why it don't get rotten so yeah thank you fariz sir well you kind of hit sir around about the thing that said Doctor Strange 2 is a Sam Raimi movie. It's not an MCU movie. And I give it up for the man because only Sam Raimi can come into the MCU and say, no, I'm going to do it my way. And and get to do it in a, in a big way because I don't think necessarily that he was dictatorial in saying what he was going to do. I think they gave him a framework and being that he's Sam Raimi, he figured out a way how to make it the most Sam Raimi thing in that framework. And it's very odd, too, because you had a director, Scott Derrickson, who had done the first one, depart the project. And then Sam Raimi comes in and it seems like just makes a Sam Raimi movie. So I understand that. I still I don't care if I'm watching a Sam Raimi movie or an MCU movie. I, I don't feel anything 
I, I didn't, nothing really grabbed me. None of the, and again, we know how I feel about children, but none of the Wanda desperately wanting kids so bad that she's just going to break the worst spoke to me at all. So that's probably a Mark Ellis thing, not necessarily a movie thing, but I have heard from people that they didn't feel like her character alignment was necessarily on the same track as what we got with WandaVision, which was a highly acclaimed show. So I don't know. I just, you know, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness just did not do it for me. Yeah. WandaVision, when they announced that movie was coming out first, I already knew that there was trouble just because I knew the way that the rest of the schedule was. And the fact Mm. that they, again, I'm just enamored that they kept it somewhat coherent by the end of it. Because when you have a television show that was essentially trying to do, like what Leia was supposed to go is there was Multiverse of Madness and then there was WandaVision. The fact that it ended up being WandaVision and Multiverse of Madness now looking at those two movies, how were they ever going to be any other way? And if they were originally that other way, how much did they change to get to be this? I guess that's... uh, I guess that's a testament to Kevin Feige and those guys because they knew when they made the move that they were sort of writing themselves into a corner. So I, I, I do get where Freeze is saying, though, but I think that's more of a... I don't even think it's an MCU thing. It's just a Sam Raimi thing. I just, you know, I... I see Doctor Strange and even the new Thor, which I had a lot of fun with. I'm just I'm when we did that snap at the end of Endgame, I think it snapped me out of something. I'm waiting for something to snap me back in so I get more invested in the MCU Ooh. again just because Well, that will happen. It'll be Black okay. Panther. It'll oh, be Black I Panther. I hope so. I mean, I I, so. I, 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 if it doesn't, it might be this whole Van Halen thing again where it's like we may need to reevaluate our, pop, our, our our friendship, but I'll let you make that choice when you get there. Well, here to rescue us, then, is our next fan, who is Luke Giron. Hi, I'm Luke Giron, uh, part of the Ketchup crew from Fredericksburg, Virginia. And I'd like to ask Mark and Jacqueline if they've seen it, what their opinion is on RoboCop 2. Uh, me and my sister watched it recently, and we're trying to guess what the Rotten Tomato score would be. And we're thinking 50% at the lowest, but... Uh, both audience and critics rated it in the 20s and 30s. And th- it wasn't a perfect movie, but neither of us can imagine a world where people liked the first one and didn't like the second one. It almost it felt like it improved on all bases and uh, was just a really enjoyable movie. So I just wanted to see what uh, your opinions on it might be. And congratulations on the 100th episode. Thank you, Luke, and uh, shout out to Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'll see you walking around those streets sooner rather than later. But, like, here's the thing with RoboCop, too, that's so weird, is that RoboCop took a, a life of its own on after the movie came out, the first one, that was directed by Paul Verhoeven, because you had the movie, which was, like, very dark satire, but then you had this cool-looking character, RoboCop, and so I think a lot of people just looked at RoboCop and were like, oh, that's an action hero. So let's go see RoboCop 2. But RoboCop 2 was just more spoofiness. Like there's a there's a drug dealer that's nine years old who's dealing nuke in the movie. So how seriously are you going to take this? Maybe critics just took that one so seriously, whereas they appreciated the winks and the nods from the first one. I I, I got to go back and watch it, Jacqueline. I, I mean, I will say this. If you haven't watched it recently, I don't know if it's going to hold up. But I watched it for a bad movie podcast like six years ago. And I remember even at that time being like, what were they on? Like, that's that's all I thought. Not that it was bad, but just definitely like, 
There's certain movies from the 80s and the 80s in general, and maybe it is because I have been reading a book a little bit about that time frame, and it was it's about Don Simpson, the guy that was yep. the partner with Jerry Bruckheimer, and just basically how he died under a mountain of cocaine. <laughs> I got to read that book. Yeah. That. Hollywood's a different time. It yeah. really was. These guys were just drugged out doing whatever it is that they wanted, and RoboCop is like a product of that time frame. So I'm not surprised the movie looks unhinged, but it's still fun. Yeah, meanwhile, we're pulling strings trying to get one light beer during the show. So I mean, seriously, like this is times like a, have changed. Times have definitely changed. <laughs> Let's go ahead and move on to our next one. Another film from 1990s, early 90s. We have Robert Drost, right? Hi, producer Lucy and the Rotten Tomatoes is wrong crew. I'm calling because I would love for you guys to discuss the Mighty Ducks, the great hockey sports film of the early 90s that involved a alcoholic lawyer who was caught drunk driving and instead of going to jail was given community service in which he was tasked with turning around a small hockey team full of very unathletic teenagers who he was able to go from the worst team in the Minneapolis youth hockey team to one of the best in the state and spawned two sequels, a TV show, an NHL franchise. And I was surprised to learn that this movie had a 24% rotten scale on the Rotten Tomatoes meter. So I would love for you guys to be able to discuss this film and hopefully agree with me that that score is just absolutely wrong and should have been much higher because after all, who else did not love watching the flying V and hearing that great chant, quack, quack, quack. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. <laughs> I I particularly do love that he has the, the Mighty Ducks. And for Joshua Jackson Love, first initiating right. that and held through Dawson's Creek. Yeah. I will not stand for any shade or besmirchment to the Mighty Ducks franchise. That being said, don't ask me to ask you whether or not it's a good movie. Like, I just, I can't answer the question. I, I really can't. Is. I think it's a good movie. I think it's definitely better than in the 20s on the tomato meter. It's a heartwarming. Better than in the 20s. I will give yeah. you that. Better yeah, than in the 20s. We're bad but... news bearsing it. Uh, for We're little giantsing it. I think this came out before Little Giants. And it does have the distinction of being the only film ever, I think, to directly inspire a professional franchise name. Ha having said that, though, there's no way that Toronto gets a basketball team called the Raptors if Jurassic Park had not come out because nobody knew what the hell a Raptor or a Velociraptor yeah. was until Jurassic yeah, Park taught fair. us all. And then Toronto's like, hey, we got a basketball team. Mark, I mean, maybe the owner of that team was really into dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, but he ain't gonna get the marketing people to sign on to his crazy nope. ambition. Nope. Like, yeah. like yeah. even Jerry Brooke, even Jerry Jones has people that he has to be like, sir, no, we can't do that. Yep. Like, you know yep. what I'm saying? Like, you're right. I could definitely see an owner being crazy enough, like Ross Geller reincarnated with a billion dollars to say, we gonna name it the Raptors. But uh, Ross Geller. No, uh, no, like marketing person is gonna be like, sir, nobody knows what a Raptor is. And honestly, I don't even think Toronto would name their thing the Raptors if it was actually portrayed realistically in the movie because those things aren't that big. No, they're, they're <laughs> tiny, Raptors but they are, are like basically, you know, oversized dogs. Thank God we scrappy. like corrected it as we moved on to that one. No, I'm I'm with the Mighty Ducks love. I think the audience scores a little bit closer to itself, but I am not gonna say that it is definitely a fresh movie. Just because too, you said it, Mark yourself. It's just a remake of Bad News Bears. And I will find that with 
movies, if you can give yourself at least five good examples of great movies that did it well, you better do it really well if you're going to do the same thing. You know what I mean? And the yeah, like drunken but- guy being over some kids. Like, hey, and you know this. what they did it better? Bad Santa. I was never a kid that wanted to party at a roller skating rink or an ice skating rink because I wasn't good on skates. There's one person I would lace them up for, and that person is Emilio Estevez, mainly because of young guns, but still, I would lace them up. Quack, quack, indeed. All right, let's go to our... This is our final video. Then we have some uh, some actual emails. Then we got some uh, some social media fun before we close up shop here on our 100th episode. I still can't believe I just said that. So let's turn it over to Connor Frydenborg. Connor, what do you want to talk about? Hi, Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. My name's Connor. I'm calling you from Brussels, and I would love to hear you guys discuss the three new Godzilla movies by Legendary Pictures. I've been a fan of the franchise ever since I was a kid, and I thought the 2014 reboot was about as good of a reboot as a franchise could possibly have. While I think the second film's rotten score is fair, I still enjoyed the movie and acknowledge they made a passing attempt at story and character development while also having great action sequences. The third, Godzilla vs. Kong, I found borderline hard to sit through and was floored to see its certified fresh rating. Maybe people were bored in the pandemic, maybe Legendary has a great marketing team, or maybe I'm missing something, but certified fresh rating for that film is, as King Kong might say, simply bananas. Thank you for your time, and I'm looking forward to the episode. I think Connor's on to something there because... Um, I do think we were really bored during the pandemic and it was nice finally getting to see a huge movie on the big screen again, which was Godzilla versus Kong. Even I, who was really excited about that movie, 75% certified fresh, whereas King of the Monsters is only 42% rotten. I, I just felt bad for my guy, King Kong, during that movie because every time there was a fight, King Kong was like coming out of a coma or he was like strapped onto an aircraft carrier. He never got a fair look at, at Godzilla as full Kong, he was just like re- recovering. It's like if somebody broke into the hospital and started beating you up when you're in a cast. It's like, this isn't a fair fight. Mm-hmm. No, I absolutely agree with you on that one. Also, the is it Kong Skull Island is the one that is certified fresh of all of them, correct? That's the only one that got certified fresh? Uh, no, you have Godzilla Zilla. and Godzilla versus Kong. Are both Godzilla versus fresh. Kong. Yeah. Okay, I, I get it. Then in that case, yeah, I honestly don't get this because I thought maybe it was like, okay, they only gave it to the one. I will say 2014, though. I love that I, movie. I, I love that one. And so I don't know okay. if it's necessarily that these ones are the ones that are going to be the ones that I would rail as bad again. So I, I'll give them that. There, there are worse Godzilla movies out there. I'll, I'll say that. I just get so upset when people say Godzilla 2014 was boring. It, it's sort of, it reminded me of like Jaws where you didn't see the shark all that much. It's not as good as Jaws, but when you do see Godzilla, whoo, that no. boy come to play. That was a lie, as I like to tell people. Everyone thought they were getting a Brian Cranston movie at the height of his Walter White powers. <laughs> they duped us. And I literally was thinking to myself, do y'all know how many episodes of Breaking Bad they film? Like, he could not have been available for this show for that long. It, like, you know I what I mean? I need him. I, I need Godzilla. That's all I, I know need. you don't need him, but that's what people yeah. got mad about with that movie. I remember it had a backlash for that first, and then everything else just kind of piled on. Like, they wanted a Brian Cranston movie. But that's not all we got. We also got some IG comments because we also asked you guys to tell us anything, really, that you wanted to kind of shout out about the podcast. And so we're going to go ahead and take a look at those next. Apologize for these handles really quick, folks, because I don't know what all of these are supposed to mean, but hopefully... Susie Tramwelt said, literally all Marvel movies are too high. I would say that your sentiment is in the minority. 
Susie, but I think it is now becoming the majority. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate to say Susie's starting to win me over just a little bit. Not fully, but just a little bit. I still have my MCU phases that I adore. Uh, Kev1 says the Northman, 89%. Question mark, question mark, question mark. That movie was terrible. Whoa, Kev, what did the Vikings do to you? Wow, seriously. I was, I was in on the Northman. I mean, I couldn't I take my eyes off too. of those abs. But. I didn't think it was terrible. I think that it was selling a false bill of goods on the marketing because it wasn't what it was advertising. But I like what I got. Uh, then we have Nurjas. Nurjas. Naraj. Naraj. Yeah, thank you. Naraj Mascale. I'm sorry if I got that wrong. He says dark because all seasons should be 100. And I will say, I don't know what dark gang is or like the the, what they call the darkies, like the dark fandom. What do they oh call? Oh my gosh, they are strong and they are loud and they are proud and they are passionate about Netflix's dark. Yes, they really are. But I don't yes. know what they call themselves, but that crew is with you on that one. Yeah. You want to hear something fun? Yeah. You never, never heard it. of it. Oh my never, gosh. Never it's even foreign heard of it. language or partially foreign language, right? It's like German. It's, yeah, it's German, but they do part um, of it in English. Time okay. travel. Mark, I think you'd actually really like it. I'm looking at it now. It seems like I'd love it's, this. It's kind of crazy and in a very good way. And uh, the Rotten Tomatoes audience on our social media, it might be their the favorite TV show of all time for them. Oh. Uh, I'm in. That. Thank yeah. you, Naraj. And the good news for Susie and Kev is that there's no MCU and there's no Northman in that whatsoever. So dark party at my house. All right, let's move on to Neil Brayman. And Neil says the road to El Dorado at 48% is way too low. That movie had comedy. It was serious and then had some bangers sprinkled into it. Classic. The road to El Dorado. I remember this movie coming out. I never partook. Yeah. Road to El Dorado is fun. I remember this one and I definitely did like it. And this yeah. and this is a crazy for me because that is not my type of movie mm-hmm. totally, but I'm with it. It's funny. It definitely is funny. Also, uh, hottest girl, hottest girl animation. The main yeah. girl has curves for days. I think Danny Fernandez could play her in a live action movie. Don't she disagree with you. Super, super. Danny sexy. Fernandez. I'll have to look her up on social media. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you know who she is, Mark. Um, mm. Other thing I also want to add, though, too, on El Dorado, another gifable movie. There's lots of gifts from El Dorado. Like the gifts really? are more popular yeah. than the movie. Yeah. There's one okay. of the two together, like looking at each other. The, you know, yeah, that one. You know what I'm talking about, Lucy. You know what I'm saying. Uh, let's move on to Brad Tazonga. Taken 2008 scores too low. It's one of my favorite action thrillers of all time. Brad, I just want to say to you, sir, I feel what you're saying, but you got like four of them. So I feel like in the like long run, they've kind of like covered the bet. You no, may have gotten we, a low score, but you got four movies. There's a lot of movies, didn't you know. We get four. We got one movie, then we got a bunch of pale imitations. Okay, the original Taken is the only one that I acknowledge as canon, and it is way. But it's 59 percent which is just rotten on the tomato meter. That movie deserves to be way higher. That's a great action flick. Yet, that movie probably made more money than all of this next movies in the canon makes combined, and that's because Linus says The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. These movies don't necessarily make a lot of money, but people love them, except for The Life Aquatic for whatever reason. This is like sort of the one of Wes Anderson's movies that is rotten. It's 57%. The audience, 82%. So... I'm just not a huge fan of this style for whatever reason, but I'll enjoy anything with Bill Murray in it. 
I'm a fan of this style applied correctly. I think actually Steve Zizou is the perfect place to apply it because he's doing a parody of Jacques Cousteau. The problem mm-hmm. with that movie is I feel like Jacques Cousteau is just very outside of... I don't even know how to put it. It was very outside of what was part of the zeitgeist by the time they tried to do that. And so there just wasn't enough people that understood the comedy and what he was parodying. Because yeah, like people didn't yeah. remember Jacques Cousteau. And so like if he did a Voyage of the Mimi parody, it might have been a little better because that was a little bit more of our generation. But you know what? I know Jack Daniels about Jacques Cousteau. And I effing love this movie. Mm. I'm obsessed with this movie. I actually dressed up as one of the characters, actually one of the the like crew members for Halloween. I'm I'm dedicated. That's a this, solid costume idea. It's a solid really? the red, the red yeah. beanie with the like you all you have to do is get like blue nurse scrubs and uh, a red beanie and you're like good to go. <laughs> That's actually like very true. Yeah. Oh wow, yeah. that is a very but, low 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 effort costume that works very well. Also this movie makes me cry like at the end, spoiler alert. Owen Wilson dies in a helicopter crash. <laughs> and it's so sad. Yeah. This it punches you right in the nuts. I think it's a great movie. I don't know why people don't like it. <laughs> Moving on to T Brown Art, Apocalypto Martyrs, Out of the Furnace, Sexy Bees, to name a few of my favorites, and Munich at 78%. Come on, gang, you could do better than that. I have anything to do with it. T Brown Art. I'm just gonna tell you that. <laughs> But of everything that you mentioned, Sexy Beasts and Munich are the only ones I can really get on board with. Not, I don't know Martyrs, didn't watch Apocalypto, and got nothing on Out of the Furnace. You, Mark? I've never seen Apocalypto. I've heard it's brilliant, but Apocalypto had the misfortune of coming out right when all that stuff happened with its director. And so a lot of people are like, I'm just not even going to bother with this. 65%, it's fresh, but I've heard that movie's like amazing. Yeah. No, I've heard that. I think that movie got very much that as far as a critical reception because he didn't waste a minute. He did not care. He put that movie out. And then he went away for a while. And now that director can do uh, Father Stew and everybody <laughs> won't forget. Sorry. I'm sorry. That weird Santa Claus movie. Yeah. Well, and, I and say, he can play a, you know, drunken I, father in a family yeah, film. Yeah. <laughs> I just watched the scene from Apocalypto because something that really pisses me off in movies or TV shows, when you are getting shot at or the bad guy is trying to muck duck you um, and you run in a straight line. So Stranger Things, the the end season where Arcady sinks, she's like running from Vecna and she's just going in a straight line running to that Kate Bush song out through the portal. No, you got to zigzag. Spoil- yeah. She doesn't zigzag. And the whole time he's just like dropping like stones, like in a straight line. I'm like, okay, unbelievable. Uh, so I watched Apocalypto because there's a scene where he figures it out. He has to run. The main character is running away. Um, and the t- there's two guys that go before him that just run in a straight line. And they get totally messed up. And so he's like, okay. And he starts to zigzag. And it's this brilliant scene. And just that alone. Just Google it. You don't even have to watch the whole movie. That's how but they that teach you how to get away so from good. gators is to, uh, <laughs> to, to zigzag. If you're in Florida, you're on a golf course, you see a gator, just zigzag. And they, they don't zig serious? as fast yeah. as they go in a straight line. That's, that's, that's what hilarious. I've been told. Yeah. Hey, Golf Magazine. There you go. There you go. That's, <laughs> that's, that's why they hire me. Thank you to all of our social media responses, to all of our emailers, to everybody who sent in a video or an audio clip. 
Thank you. I, you know, you, you know that there's people listening, but it's nice to put some names to faces and some faces to names and to just realize not just that there's a lot of folks of watching and listening, but that they're all over the world listening to this stuff. It's, it's very gratifying and humbling at the same time. So thank you all for giving us something fun to do. It's one of the best parts of my week is getting to talk movies with my dear friend Jacqueline. And I am raising a glass of iced tea at the moment because it's early, but it'll be something else later to another hundred. I agree. I mean, honestly, Mark, it's it's really fun that I get to chat with my buddy and talk movies and that makes it the easiest thing. But for anybody listening to this, I just want to add there's a host of people besides Producey Lucy, Mark Hoffmeyer, Tim and Brian who make this podcast happen. It is a really, really joint and team effort for the entire podcast team from the executives at the top who help us make this podcast happen to every single person that works even on site it to people like Courtney and Urania. You don't know them, but they do our thumbnails and graphics to the social kids who post these videos and post all of our stuff. So thank you to all of them. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all of you for listening. Again, it scares me how many of you all are listening, but (laughs) thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mark, next week we have, uh, well, I shouldn't say next week coming up. We have a host of new episodes and a host of new shows and a lot of things that we haven't maybe had the bandwidth to cover yet. We're going to get to cover now. So why don't you tell us what we have coming up in the next few weeks? This is going to be exciting because we're going to be talking about some rotten Brad Pitt movies. Brad Pitt. Who doesn't love Brad Pitt? He's got the bullet train movie coming out. He's got quite a six pack on himself. And uh, I'm excited to talk about Meet Joe Black, not because of the movie itself, because I watched five minutes of it and left. But did I pay money to see it three times? Yes. Why? Because there was a certain trailer about a galaxy far, far away that was attached to Meet Joe Black when it was released in the Thanksgiving year of 1998. So going to be talking about Rotten Brad Pitt movies, and that's what we do here at Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. If you have a beef with the tomato meter, you can email us anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. So for me, I will say thank you for our hardworking team behind the scenes. I will simply say thank you for making Jack and myself look good, and I will give Jack on the last word here on our 100th episode. Take us home, my lady. Bye, y'all.